Welcome to Shofar Ronnebosch Sermon Podcast. We trust that today's message will edify and strengthen your faith. Alright, good, good evening, good afternoon, good evening. Where are we now? Good evening. Is it evening? Okay, it's evening. It's past five. Good evening. Give someone next to you a high five and say good evening. Alright. All right, who's, who's ready to be the church? Put up a hand. Half hands, full hands. So, so we are the church, right? We're not, we don't, we're not just coming to church. We are the church. We are the embodiment of Jesus in the world. Amen? Okay, so I need some, I need some excitement here tonight. You know, I, I'm, if, if you don't preach with me, I sort of get bored and then I drift and then my mind goes all over the place. So, I need conversation here tonight. Is that right? Are you guys ready? Ready to be the church? Okay. So now we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna be the church, right? We're gonna we're gonna do a prophetic action. So God spoke to us in the service right now, right? There's some really specific stuff. Um, some of it is actually confirmation of the word I'm gonna share. Always amazing when, when Jesus does that. Um, but it's amazing when we are the church, all right? Uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, two, two people in the church got married, and uh, they said that they want to have words, prophetic words at the wedding. So there was about 200 people. Half of the people were not church-going people, all right? So um, it was quite a, quite a statement. And then there was a tongue. Who's, who's been to a wedding where there was a prophetic tongue and interpretation? Okay, so that happened at the wedding. I was, I officiated the ceremony and um, it was my wife, Liana, that brought the tongue. And when she came, I was like, I I don't know about this. (laughs) This is a wedding. (laughs) People don't expect um, this sort of a a thing. Um, But it was amazing. There was interpretation. I looked at the the bridegroom and I I knew he was ready for this. He can handle it. So she brought the tongue and it was amazing. Confirmation. there were three specific scriptures that I was sharing, and the words were all three of the scriptures, like to the T. It was such confirmation. I, I, I said afterwards, um, if you don't believe in God, or you're not a churchgoer, there's only two options. Either you think this is highly rehearsed, right? Someone had a real plan to set up five or six people to sit at different places in the audience, and then, you know, to come up to share exactly the scripture so either it's very rest or it's God it's not like an in-between it was just so clear but that's that's what happens when we are the church so I said we're going to do a prophetic action a couple of times um, I love Jamie's um, song well done for your obedience Jamie um, Jamie by the way I need you up here can you quickly come forward I need you for some practical reasons you'll understand why in a second so I was, many years ago, I was, um, God would use me in the gift of tongues, speaking in tongues. Not so much these days anymore, even though I'm still open to that. But um, I was in the service and, um, you know, I, I felt, okay, there's a tongue. You know, I, I, there was this, this, I used to get this really distinct feeling, okay, I've got a tongue and it's not for me, this is for the church. And then I would know, I would go up and God had used me a couple of times before that. Um, but this particular day, I was quite intimidated because there was a new preacher. Um, I didn't know him, and it was oh, 
big group of people. So, I, you know, you sort of uh, figure things out in your mind. You sort of come up with good excuses. No, it's not going to work. Or no, the preacher, I don't even know if he's open to tongues or anything like that. So, come up with all these excuses and eventually I didn't go. So, uh, there was a little bit of invitation, but nothing really, no one really responding in terms of words, one or two words. But then the preacher started the sermon, and the title of his sermon was, guess what? Speaking in tongues. And so, if I had been obedient, it would have been the perfect confirmation to his message. So, right then and there, I was like, wow, I really missed it here. You know, I've missed it many times in my life before. But there, right then and there, I made the decision. Um, whenever I get a prophetic word or a tongue, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to go, I'll rather be a fool for Jesus than miss it, right? In, it, it, in eternities, you know, it's, there's so much at stake, right? What could it have meant possibly? Um, in fact, 1 Corinthians 14 speaks about the tongue, says that when someone comes, they hear a message, and the secrets of their hearts are revealed, what happens? They? They? Repent. Yes, exactly. When the secrets of their hearts are revealed, they say, surely God must be real. Surely God, how could someone know what's in my heart? They fall to the ground, and they worship God. They say, God is real. All right, so it's something, that's why Paul says, when you come to church, the desire to do what we just did, desire to prophesy, right? It's important. You are the church. If you are not the church, then God has no other option, right? He has no other plan. He, his, his only plan for the salvation of the world is his church, right? And, and he, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So, Danashe said, God is the God of the impossible. And then Jamie came up with the, you know, God speaks. So I'm, I'm going to take a bit of a risk to the, tonight, okay? Like I said, prophetic action. Who knows God can do anything, all right? He's the God of the impossible. Who knows God is not scared of finances, right? He's not scared of money, right? We're sometimes a little bit intimidated and li limited by finances. Um, I was definitely one of those. God had called me to do an internship at church, and um, I made the mistake to go to my dad after my engineering studies, and I went to my dad. I said, Dad, I'm not going to work now, and my dad really stretched himself to get me through varsity, but in any case, I came to him after varsity, and uh, I said to him, Dad, the Lord spoke to me. I must do internship, so I don't know where I'm going to get my finances. I was sort of hoping you would help me out. Um, but uh, he wasn't too excited uh, by the idea, or he wasn't as excited as I was. Um, in fact, quite the opposite. And um, so he said, I knew it. I knew this is coming. And, and, and then I made the big mistake. And I said to him, yes, you knew it because the Lord had said to you that that's what's going to happen. A big mistake. Any case, long, long story short, but uh, my dad said, long story short, because he, he was really set on, I'm, I need to start working now. Um, but God changed his heart, but it worked out that he said, I can do it, but I need to provide for myself. And so it was like a real faith journey. You know, I wouldn't know where my food would come from, finances, my accommodation and everything. Um, but it was such a, such a special time in my life where I literally lived from day to day. Um, and God always came through. Sometimes like very last minute, 
right? You, some of you know, you know, God sometimes really at the last minute. Um, sometimes it feels like it's way past the time. But then you realize, okay, no, no, it was the last minute. Um, but he always comes through. And um, I remember that year I decided I'm, I'm not going to miss out on anything because of finances. I think that's the prophetic action here tonight. We're never going to miss out on anything um, because of finances, because the scripture says that the cattle upon a thousand yield belongs to God. What does that mean? It means he's, he's rich. He owns everything, right? God is rich, right? Your father, your heavenly father is rich, right? So we never, we never have um, lack. We sometimes have a shortage of cash flow, right? But we never have lack because God's a good father. And so I said, I'm, I'm going to do missions. And I don't know where my finances come from. I still don't know where my rent for the month's coming from or my food for next week. Um, but I'm going to go on missions. And I'm not going to let finances stop me because I know God had called me to go to missions. And so um, I said to God, okay, Lord, this is, this is what I need. I need to make this payment. Um, I actually forgot about the figures. But it was, I needed, um, yes, it was... I needed 6,600, right, to make my first payment on my missions, my rent. Yeah, those two. Uh, actually, no, I needed 6,000. And I said to the Lord, Lord, I need this amount. I read um, where Jesus sits with his disciples, and he says to them, um, if you ask anything in my name. I thought, okay, that's a good, that's a good test. I'll ask you, Lord, this amount in your name. And that was the previous day, the next day, Someone comes to me with an envelope. Now, I hadn't spoken to anyone about this, this, this prayer, and even the, you know, the needs that I had. Um, and someone gave me an envelope, and I opened up the envelope, and it was 6,600 rand. Um, so, you know, it covered the mission, it covered the rent, and there was the tithe. So, God even provided the tithe that I could pay the tithe to the church, and still cover all my costs. Um, so you know, when people say, you know, like Matthew said, tithing, you know, I know God wants us to tithe because why would he provide the tithe? You get the point. So God provided. In fact, the other day uh, someone asked me how many missions have I been on. Um, I've been saved for 15 years. I've been to uh, more than 22 countries on 30 missions, so that's two missions a year, and I only, I had finances for one of those missions, right, when I was working as engineer, you know, <laughs> then, I, then I had the cash for the mission, all the other missions God provided, right, um, in different means, God sometimes, sometimes provides early, sometimes provides late, like last minute, sometimes even I've had somewhere I had to pay back, <laughs> but God always provided, for all these international and local, whatever missions, you know, where God leads you, He provides. Okay, so we're going to make a, a, a prophetic statement declaration just now. Okay, um, so the cattle and upon a thousand hills belongs to God. God has all finances. Now, practical, Jamie, come stand a bit closer. Who has not registered to go to camp? Put up your hand. Everyone. Okay. Is, uh, did it open up tonight? 
this is not rehearsed. So I'm sort of figuring things out as we're going. Okay, has someone registered? No one yet. Okay, it's KG. Hey, well done, KG. Hey, there we go, KG. He's our campmeister. Okay, so let's let's do this. Who wants to? Who has the finances to go to camp? Who doesn't have the finances? Let's, let's have an honest moment. Put up your hand very high if you don't have the finances, okay? But you would like to go to camp, okay? Who wants to go to Songs of the Prophets? Put up your hand, okay? Okay, so we've got quite a number of people here. So I'm sort of just like stepping out in faith. I'm taking a bit of a risk. I might get into trouble doing this, but let's just see. Okay. So put up your hand. So what, what we're going to do is if you register for camp tonight, okay, maybe you don't have the finances, so this is a bit of a scary one, okay? If you register for the camp and you put up your hand right now, we're gonna, I'm going to trust the Lord for the finances to cover your Songs of the Prophets ticket. Does that make sense? Okay. So if you put up your hand, so we, we're going to action Jamie. Is the Baxter open now? It's not. Okay, okay. But we're going to commission Jamie in any case. All right. If you put up her hand, she's going to get you a ticket. And we're going to trust the Lord for the finances. See, God can, do, he can cover those finances, right? So we all are putting our faith somewhere. And we're going to trust that God would provide for us, even if you don't have it. So put up your hand if you want to do that. So we're going to, Jamie, you need to do a count because you're going to get that many tickets um, for camp and songs of the prophets. Okay. So if you don't have the finances, it means that you're trusting the Lord now. Okay. You want to go to camp and you believe this is where God wants you. You're going to trust that it comes through. I was going to say if the Baxter was open, we're going to trust, we're going to go out and we're going to say, God, provide, right? <laughs> Has anyone done that before? You know God does it. He can do it. It's, it's not impossible. So put up your hand. Have you counted, Jamie? Put up, put up your hand very high. This is a prophetic declaration because all of you are going to get your finances supernaturally, maybe naturally sometimes as well. Okay, so if you don't have the finances, what's going to happen is if you put up your hand to register for camp, Jamie's going to get you a Songs of the Prophet ticket for, as part of the deal. We're going to trust that someone donates the difference, okay? So I'm ste stepping out in faith. You're stepping out in faith. And next week, we're going to be back here and we're going to say, thank you, Jesus. Amen. Okay. How many tickets have we got, Jamie? Jamie, how many tickets have we got? Okay, okay. You have got until the, after the service to step out in faith. Are you excited? Who's excited? Put up your hand. All right, awesome. Okay, so who's been to the doctor, the dentist, a clinic, uh, 
the mechanic in the last while. Put up your hand very high. Okay, okay. Great stuff. Okay, welcome to your appointment tonight. This is your checkup. Okay, we're not going to have a natural checkup. We're not going to have a mechanical checkup. We're going to have a spiritual checkup. All right, to check if you are in a good space spiritually. See, in the natural, if you go to the dentist, the dentist would look at your teeth. He'll say, listen, this is fine, this is fine. You might say, my tooth is paining there. Um, or he might say, well, there's a little hole there. Um, it's, not, it's not so intense now, but if you leave it and nothing happens, um, then it's going to get worse and worse and worse. Right? You do have a bit of a checkup. Okay. Who likes to go to the dentist? No one. Ah, Tanash likes to go. <laughs> well done, Tanashi. All right, so we're going to do a, a checkup today. Right, if, you, if you've got a car and you don't service your car, right, you, you just leave it. You never replace the oil filters or the air filters or um, change the oil. Um, if you don't do those checkups, those services, guess what? At some point, the car is going to crash. Boom. It's not going to, something's going to blow or something's going to not work. Um, but if you don't do those regular checkups, you know, in fact, if you get a car, they'll tell you after these, uh, this amount of time or these amount of kilometers, you must go and do a service. Right. So, in the natural, we don't want to neglect these, right? When you go to the doctor, your blood pressure is high or this is wrong or this is not in, in a good place, you don't want to ignore the doctor, Okay. In the same way, we don't want to miss it when we do a spiritual checkup, okay? And we realize, okay, I'm a, I'm a, you know, this is a bit low. You know, my spiritual vitality is a bit low, okay? You want to respond even more than you would respond if you um, had a natural um, assessment. Joel chapter 2, verse 13 says the following. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, but abounding in love. So God is this God that is just so, so big, so powerful, so in control. Okay, and we're going to give God the space today to say, um, God, we're going to say to God, God, give, show me where I am at, spiritually speaking. Is there something I'm missing? Is there, is there something that I need to work on? Um, but God is a God that is he's so in control, and he's, he's, he's loving towards us, slow to anger, um, and abounding in love. One of the first things... Um, that we see Jesus encountering disciples was on the road. After Jesus was raised from the dead, he walked with two, two guys on the road. And um, only afterwards did they realize something had happened to them when they were working with Jesus, when they were um, in his presence. But while they were with him, they didn't really realize, they didn't recognize Jesus firstly. Um, and they didn't realize that something had changed in them, inside of them. Now, I don't know about you, but I, um, it's amazing in the presence of Jesus. Sometimes I would just spend time with, with God, 
in his presence and I would be changed in that period of time with him. But I wouldn't know what had changed, okay? God always, you know, is amazing. Uh, scripture says when we draw near to God, he draws near to us. I'd say he always draws near to us. Um, but sometimes I, didn't, I don't realize with my mind what had happened. Sometimes I would, I would be like, okay, uh, God gave me a picture, a visible something tangible that I can take out of my time with him, all right? Other times it's, um, you know, maybe an instruction, something that I need to do, something that I need to tell someone. But sometimes I can't actually tell you what God did. All I know is something changed in me. Is that that sort of experience, Okay. Most often, I believe that that happens. Because you see, this is, this is the scenario. This is what's happening in the world. When we, when we are without God, whether you know God um, or whether you don't, the state of the world is like this. The world is regressing, right? Um, the world is, um, is corrupted, right, because of the evil one. You don't have to read much news to realize there's a lot of corruption in the world. I'm not talking about politics now. I'm just talking about the world. The world is in a state of decline, right? When God steps in and, in, and individualize as well, the, we always, the default is decline. When we're in the presence of Jesus, we are on the incline, all right? When, um, when we connect with God, he changes us. He frees us. He gives us joy. Um, he gives us life. That's why Jesus says, you know, I came to bring life and life in abundance. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Right? He's the thief, but Jesus has come to bring life. So when we spend time with Jesus, things um, improve. Um, and that's not the reason why we love Jesus. We love Jesus because he's God. Because he pursued us and he loved us, and so we love him back, right? We don't serve God for his benefits. We serve God because he's God, right? But at the same time, as we spend time with Jesus, we become more like Jesus. So those two disciples that spent time with Jesus, um, Jesus was just raised from the dead, okay? And then it says um, afterwards, only afterwards they realized, okay, this is what happened. Okay, then they say, they say these words. They said, did not our hearts burn within us when what happened? Who can remember? When Jesus opened up the scriptures to them. Jesus taught them from the scriptures. And then they, only afterwards, you know, when they broke bread, they suddenly saw Jesus. Suddenly they realized, okay, this is Jesus, not just a random guy walking down the road. Up till then they thought that this was a random guy. Then their eyes opened, they could see it was Jesus. And then afterwards, when he had left, they realized, okay, something had changed in us. Something had changed in me. Um, I, we do, we, I couldn't put my finger on it. What had changed, but now I can. So sometimes God does something in our spirits, but our minds haven't caught up yet. And our emotions are sometimes to follow, okay? He does something and we need to process that to be able to understand. But the fact that we don't understand doesn't mean it's not real. Okay? I am not what I think. I am because God, the I am, has declared that I am. All right? We are not just 
minds. All right? We are primarily spiritual beings. And God is spirit. And so, and so you know, God brings us into that space. So, a couple of questions. You, I'm not going to... I'm not going to give you the answers. This is just the checkup. If you go to the doctor, the doctor gives you a bit of a report afterwards. Uh, he doesn't actually do anything on you. He just does a lot of tests, right? Um, but if there is something that needs to attend to, he'll give you a report afterwards. He'll say, okay, well, this is serious. You better go to the specialist. Or um, you better come back to me again to look at this or the other. Um, or you would say, listen, just attend to this. Um, it might become an issue if you neglect it. Okay? So... Um, that part is up to you. Actually, I'm not the doctor here. The Holy Spirit is the doctor. So you need to go to God and say, God, maybe this came up. I recognize this. Now, how do I deal with this? Okay? The first step is just the awareness of, of that there is something. The next step is asking God, engaging with Him on what to do. So a couple of questions just to help you to, to get to... Um, the state of your heart. So I'm, uh, I titled this message, Reflecting on the State of Your Heart. I read Joel chapter 2, which says, rent, your, rent to God your heart and not your garments. Jesus was upset with his disciples. Let's say it this way. Jesus was most upset with his disciples. He was furious. When? Who can tell me? What did the disciples do that most upset Jesus. Who can tell me? The 12 disciples. You know, Peter, John, those guys. What did they do? Okay. 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 Yes, you, you are referring to one of the, the times, yes? They fell asleep while, while he was praying, yes? Okay. No, it's a consistent one. It's a consistent one. But you, you, you t you're touching on it, and the watching one is very much connected to it. Um, so, the parables... It's not so much that they didn't understand it. It was because they didn't believe it, right? Jesus had just done a miracle, and now they were on the boat, and they, you're touching on the right thing there. Um, but the issue was the following. Jesus rebuked them, man, severely. Like he said the following words, uh, you faithless and perverse generation. Now, these were the guys that left everything. I don't know about you, but I'm like, wow, that's harsh, Jesus, right? These guys are like, they left everything. Like, they were, they, they're quite loyal. When everyone left you, they stayed. Now Jesus calls them a faithless and perverse generation. I think it's quite harsh. But if you understand the heart of Jesus, I don't think it is. And the reason why Jesus did that was because of this that happened in them. He says, because your hearts are hardened, Right? So that's the one thing that Jesus was furious about. He, it's almost like Jesus is saying to his disciples, I will not allow you to be like this. If you're going to be around me, you're going to have soft hearts. Otherwise, there's the door, right? You can leave like the others are leaving. You know, Jesus did that often. Eh? 
doesn't really fit into our modern-day Christianity. But Jesus had a big door right there at the back. He was like, you don't want to sell everything. You don't want to give up everything. Okay, there's the door. You know, follow me. Sell everything you have. Give it to the poor and come follow me. Or there's the door, right? But he was almost saying, this is not going to work. If you are going to have a hardened heart, then it's not going to work for you to be with me, right? Your heart needs to be soft. Now, here's the thing, and this is why we're doing this checkup. I said the world is regressing, right? Sin had come into the world. So um, it's really hard to keep a soft heart. Who's been a Christian for more than a year, right? It's quite hard. Who agrees with me? Put up your hand if you agree with me. It's not easy to keep a soft heart because everything in this life is geared to cause you to have a hardened heart, whether it's in relationships, whether it's towards God, whether it's circumstances, everything is geared to make you go like, that's it, I'm going to close off my heart to people, I'm going to close off my heart to Jesus, I'm not going to believe, I'm not going to trust, I'm going to harden my heart, right? And Jesus says, I'm not going to tolerate that. I'm not going to accept that. You are going to learn the discipline to continuously have a soft heart. But then the world's going to be flipped upside down, if you can get that right. So 11 guys were known as the people that flipped the world upside down, right? Because they could keep soft hearts. So this is the one big challenge of your life, is to keep a soft heart before Jesus and towards other people. So a couple of questions. What is your relationship to God's word? Do you hunger for his word? And secondly, do you tremble at his word? Is his word to you good advice? So maybe I read something, God gives me a word, and I'm like, okay, well, this is nice. You know, this could add something to my life. Um, This is good advice. This This can really happen. Or do you realize that this word comes from the king of kings. Do you tremble at his word? Okay. What is your relationship to, to his word? What is your appetite for his word? Okay. That will determine something um, in terms of your relationship with Jesus. Jesus, um, in fact, he says, he feels stro- so strong about this that he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from God's mouth. Now, those are not just like cheap words that sounds nice and philosophical. Do you realize that when Jesus said those words, he was like not a little hungry. He was like seriously hungry because he had not eaten for 40 days. Okay? Who's hungry after not eating for a day? Okay? Understatement here. Understatement. So after 40 days of not eating... Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone. It's easy if you just had a good meal to sit back and say, man shall not live by bread alone. Okay? After 40 days of not eating, Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from God's mouth. What is your appetite for his word? Second question is, how much of your life is driven by eternity? Bible says God has put eternity in the heart of man. We are made, if you have been born again, you have been made not for this life, but for the next one. All right? 
We are made to be with Jesus. The only reason that we are here is so that we can bring the light and, and minister salvation to those that are not part of his kingdom. Okay, so um, are you driven by eternity or are you driven by the here and now? The circumstances, the issues, the challenges of this moment. They are what drives you, what you think about, what you meditate most often about, um, or are you driven by eternity? And here's the thing. If you are driven by eternity, it means that you are in the here and now, but it's the way that you embrace the here and now. Okay? In fact, you are more in the present if you embrace it, eternity. But you are not driven by your circumstances and your challenges. You are driven by something bigger than the here and now. How much are you driven by eternity? Third one, how much do you think about the lost? How much, let's come to this side a little bit. We've been speaking to this side. How much do you think about the lost? And when I say think, I don't mean in your mind as a, as a checklist, as a something to do. Um, I mean, how much do you think with your heart? You know, towards those, your colleagues, your friends, your family, those that do not know God, those that are not, um, don't know the eternal Savior, that are eternally doomed if they don't come into relationship with Jesus. Right? How much is your heart affected by that? Or again, is it just something that you know that Christians are supposed to do? Right? Where's the state of your heart? The fourth one, how often do you tell Jesus that you love him? And again, not because we're singing the song or because it's a habit of you to say to Jesus you love him, but because it's from your heart. I said this morning, I've got two little kids, Evan and Malaya. Evan's five years old, and uh, it absolutely melts my heart when he comes to me and he says, um, Daddy, you are my lovey daddy. He would just come and say it. And when he says it like that, I know it's real because it's just from his heart. Then my heart melts, right? Um, but it's so precious because he didn't think it's something that you need to do. To be a good son in the house, you know, five years old, they don't think about what it means to be good. They just want to play and enjoy life. So it's so precious to know that it comes from his heart, you know, and, and our Heavenly Father is like that, right? He wants to hear it because, not because it's something you must do or you must say to be a good Christian, but because it's there. And you just, it's just a natural outflow. And, and, and sometimes it's there, but we don't say it, right? Sometimes we're so thankful to God, but we just don't say it. Just stop for a moment and say, Jesus, I love you, right? From the heart. The last one is how, gap, how big is the gap between your inner life and your public life? That's a good question, to know the state of your heart. And the, you are the only person, well, you and God. God knows the depths of your heart, so you can also answer this question. But no one else can know. No one else can know what is the state of your inner life. And if there's a, um, a discrepancy between the image that you put out there and, you know, the Facebook status or your public profile, um, you know, obviously there's different levels. There's the level of people, you know, in our classrooms 
um, there's the closer friends that we are more vulnerable to. In a certain way, um, you know, Jesus is, there's an aspect of our hearts, I'm going to talk about it now, that only Jesus knows and will always know, right? There's certain things we don't put on Facebook because it's precious between you and God, okay? Um, but how big is the gap? So I'm not talking about just sharing everything to the world. I'm talking about a discrepancy between your inner life and your outer life, right? In other words, are you putting up a front all the time that's not you? Or are you being true to who you are? Um, sometimes we're not aware of this. Sometimes we need friends to help us and God to help us um, in this regard. But, but, but the question just to ask is, God, is there a gap? Is there a gap? And, and mostly, if there's a gap, you'll find yourself feeling like I'm not really my true self. I'm not being who God has made me to be. And you'll, you'll, you'll maybe struggle with energy. Um, because if we are who God has made us to be, we'll be in the sweet spot, right? You'll be doing things and acting in ways that doesn't drain you, but it energizes you, right? Because God had made you to be like that. I can speak about that for much longer. But the question just there is how big is the gap? So, we want Jesus and we want the pure Jesus. Amen? Amen? Who, who wants an imitation of Jesus? Who wants an imitation? I can come up with some good imitations of Jesus. Alright? None of us are going to say yes, but sometimes we allow ourselves to fall for a lesser something of Jesus, a lesser image of Jesus. What was one of the original sins of the old covenant was that they made Jesus into an image. And it looked quite a lot like Jesus. It was a, it was a calf, right? It, was, it had a lot of attributes on a knowledge pure level. Um, it aligned a lot with um, the God that saved them out of Egypt, except it wasn't. It wasn't Jesus, right? And that was called idolatry. Idolatry is everything or anything that we in our hearts place above Jesus. So it doesn't mean you need to bow before like an idol thing. It just means that something has become more important to you than Jesus himself. It could be a relationship. It could be a friend. It could be a family member. Um, it could be an activity. It could be something you really love. It could be an escapism. Because escapisms sometimes are... Um, idols, right? Things that you escape into when things get really tough, right? That be can, can become an idol. So we don't want idols. We don't want imitations of Jesus. We want to say we want the, the pure, true Jesus and nothing else, all right? Amen? We want Jesus. Now, Jesus gives us three pictures, three analogies of what it is to, to live this life with him. The first one is in the book of Song, Song of Songs, chapter 4, verse 12. Second one, Luke 13. And the fourth one, Matthew 13. Luke 13, Matthew 13. Making it easy tonight. Easy to remember. Any case, Jesus gives these three pictures of what it means to have a heart for God and to live with Jesus. Um, and the first one is this calls it the garden. Now, 
you need to understand something about God. God does not fit in time. God doesn't live in time. God is aware of everything from the beginning to the end, right? He sees everything in front of him, like in an like open movie. He can be at any time, at any place, instantly. So, whereas we listen to a story and we're intrigued by the story because we don't know what's going to happen next, God doesn't have that experience, right? You know, we like stories. Who likes a good story, a good movie? Movies like a story. I don't know if you realized. Okay? We like the story because of we're not sure what's going to happen. We don't like those movies that's like really predictable. All right? That's like, okay, it's not intriguing. It's not interesting. But the fact that we don't know makes us want to know what's going to happen next. Right? Now, with God, that's not the case. So the fact that God entertains us by telling a story that he already knows what's going to happen means it's an expression of his love. God actually allows us to make the mistakes even though he knows we'll make the mistakes. He entertains us. It's an expression of his love. He doesn't come and intervene. So with, with, with the Garden of Eden, he, he makes this amazing garden knowing that the two people that he would put in the garden would eat of the tree, would then sin and be banished from the garden and be full of shame and then be banished, right? Even though he knows that that would happen, he still allows it. Isn't that amazing? I don't know about you, but if I was God, I would like be, before Adam takes the apple, I'll be like knocking it out of his hand or doing something, right? That's if I was God. Praise the Lord, I'm not God. Okay? Because God is a father that's, in a sense, he's very involved, but he takes a step back and he allows us to live life. Isn't that amazing? You know, some people want to get cross with God because he leaves us to live life. But it's amazing. It's an expression of his love. He allows us to make mistakes. He doesn't force himself upon us, right? But God sits back and he allows things to happen. So, so there was the original garden, Garden of Eden. And then we see in the whole book of uh, Old, Old Covenant, God would tell his people, um, Here's the temple. Firstly, the tabernacle. If you want to meet with me, come to the tabernacle. Then he builds the temple. If you want to, come, if you want to really be close to God, then you, there's the outer court, the inner court, uh, the holy of holies, and then there's the most holy of holies. Now, God is mostly there. That's the old covenant. Okay? There's a physical space that you go to to connect to God. Even in the Garden of Eden, um, that was an amazing place. If, if you're a believer, you cannot not look at the Garden of Eden and be like, wow, I really want to be, want to, would have loved to be there. Um, and it's not because of this amazing garden, I'm sure it was, um, but it was because God was with them. They could interact with God face to face. They could walk in the cool of the day and, and, and speak to God, be with Him without interruption. Okay? So that was a really amazing place, the garden. But now, um, Hebrews says that the, like sin came in through the first Adam, um, redemption came through the second Adam. Who was the second Adam? Jesus, okay? So he restored the original garden. Did you know that? Where is the garden? Who can tell me? Is it in Iraq, Iran, somewhere up there? Middle East, somewhere, 
Who can tell me where's the garden? It's in here. All right? Jesus says, no longer do you go to a physical space. No longer do you go into a building, but I come into you. Isn't that amazing? So through Jesus, we've been restored to the garden. Right? But the garden is in you. Here's a crucial, crucial principle that you need to get. Song of Songs, chapter 4, verse 12. The whole book of Song of Songs is a, is a love story between husband and wife. But more than that, it's a reflection of the love of Jesus to us. His, his incredible, intimate love towards us, his, his children. It says this in verse 12, and again it's a parallel. But he says, you, um, my bride, um, are an enclosed garden. A rock garden locked, a spring sealed up. Or another translation says, a fountain locked up. So in other words, he's, he's saying, but you are a garden, but an exclusive garden. There's a certain part of your heart that only belongs to me. You cannot give it to anyone. And, and, and it's, this is something, if you're a serious believer, if you seriously have given your life to Jesus, you need to realize there's a certain aspect of me that no one else is going to get, ever. Not even my wife or husband one day. There's a certain part of me that only God gets to have, right? And actually, to give you some, this isn't part of the sermon, but, you know, there's some free marriage advice. Marriages really work when this happens, right? When we put too much pressure on husbands and wives to fulfill the desires of our hearts, that's where it crashes, right? But it works when Jesus takes the center of our hearts. In fact, the, the actual concept of a marriage is not just a legal contract, but a spiritual contract of which there are three parties. Who are the three parties? Husband, wife, and Jesus, right? So Jesus is part of the covenant. If you've if you know about marriage, um, that is really good news, right? Because two imperfect people coming together is more imperfection. Yes, more imperfection. So we need Jesus. Amen? Okay. That was just like free advice. Free something little there. All right. Enclosed garden. It's a garden that just primarily belongs to God. Luke chapter 13 verse 6. I'm going to read the quick two parables very quickly and then we're going to wrap up. Okay, verse 6. And also he spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of, of, of his vineyard, Look, for three years I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well, but if not, after that you can cut it down. Then the second one, Matthew chapter 13, verse 18. Jesus tells the parable of the sower. You can read the parable at home. The interpretation is the following, verse 18. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away that which was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and wants and receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. 
When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Interesting there it says, but when trouble or persecution comes because of what? Because of the word, right? Does that mean the word will be tested? It does. Quite an interesting comment there. They quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life, someone mentioned it in the prophetic words, the worries of this life and deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one producing a crop yielding 160 and 30 times what was sown. Right, so let's, 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 let's bring this home. Let's wrap this up quickly. We've got a couple of minutes. Right, so the first one, we see a fig tree. Both, you know, and, and this image of a garden is used often. The soil bed, um, fruitful ground, Jesus uses often. But the first one, I'm just going to make two points. There's two sermons out of these scriptures, but I'll just stick to this one tonight. Right. There's this argument between, not argument, there's a discussion between two parties of, of this, the owner of this garden, right? There's a fig tree in this, this garden, and there's a discussion between two parties. The one is the, the owner, and the one is the keeper of this garden. Who's the owner in the story? God. Who's the keeper? Jesus. Okay. Right, so the, the discussion is between God the Father and God the Son, Jesus. God the Father is saying, listen, we've invested a lot into this tree. A whole lot has happened, um, but still no fruit. John the Baptist actually mentioned this a couple of, um, a bit earlier in the narrative of the Gospels. He says, um, um, bear fruit worthy of repentance. He says the axe is already laying to the root, right? If there's not fruit that comes forth. So God the Father says there's this tree and it's not being fruit. We've done a lot of things. We've nurtured the tree. We've, um, we've given, you know, water and we've done a lot of things for this tree. It should have, um, it should have produced fruit already. Um, and by looking at its past, it might, the conclusion might be that it will never bear fruit. Okay, if a tree was made to bear fruit, you would want it to bear fruit, right? So God the Father says that this is the land, this is the, the, the place, he's, he's the owner. But then Jesus comes in and he says, okay, let's, let's just, there's this discussion going on. Let's just give it another year. I'm going to come and I'm going to attend to this tree. I'm going to dig around it. I'll put in some fertilizer. I'll nurture the tree, and if after a year doesn't produce fruit, um, then, then we'll see. But here's the good news. The good news is this, is you have your heart. You are a garden. You are a place that God comes to inhabit. He comes to dwell with you. Many times we can be so intimidated by, how am I going to take care of this garden? What am I going to do? The, I'm, 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 I'm doing this, this checkup, and I'm just picking up, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not quite getting it right. I'm a bit concerned about this garden. How am I going to do this? Here's the good news. Jesus is the tender of the garden. 
What does Jesus need of you? Right? Um, the fact that he does everything doesn't mean it absolves you from responsibility. What is your role? It's a simple role, but very important, and it also requires discipline. The role is the one that opens up the gate to the garden. Revelations, Jesus says, I stand at the door and I knock, okay? So he's willing to come in. He's already got all the fertilizer and all the tools. He's standing there and he's knocking. And, and that scripture in Revelations is written to believers. Okay, it's not written to unbelievers. He's knocking on our doors. And he's got all the tools, all the plans to make you, to make Nyasha the best Nyasha that Nyasha can be, right? To come and make his garden so that all his peace, all his joy, all his gifts are maximized, all right? And, and that he lives a holy life pleasing to God. And Jesus is willing to do it. All he requires of me and Nyasha and all of us is to say, come in, Lord, all right? But it actually sometimes requires a bit of discipline because we need to get up and open up the door right? We need to spend the time with the gardener, right? With the keeper of the garden. Um, we'll talk about the discipline in a second. So that's the first parable. The second one is it's quite simple. I'm going to jump to the bottom line. Um, there are four phases of challenges of the hearts that are not in a good place. We've already spoken about the hardened heart. Okay, there's two levels of extremity in the parable. The first one is, it says that the, the seed falls on the path. In other words, it's so hard, the seed cannot penetrate, and so the, the, the enemy comes and he takes the seed, takes it off. Um, so that's demonic entities coming to steal the seed because it can't take root in, in ground. The second one is a rocky ground, okay? So it's a little bit, there's a little bit of depth, but there's rocks. What are rocks? Obstacles, all right? Um, and then there's another sort of an obstacle called weeds. What are weeds? The scriptures say the weeds are two things. Weeds are the cares of this life. So worry, anxiety. God has not called us to be worried and anxious, even for your studies or your work or whatever you do. God has not called us to be anxious for anything. But by prayer and supplication, make our requests known to God. Um, Jesus says, come to me, all of you are, who are weary and burdened and heavy laden. Cast my cares upon you. Uh, yeah, cast your cares upon me because I care for you. All right? But there's a discipline. There's a, a actual, it's not automatic. It's something we need to contend for. But God has not caused us, called us to be anxious all the time, to be stressed all the time, to be nervous all the time. He wants to set us free. He wants us to be responsible people, responsible stewards. Um, those things choke up his word, right, in us to, to, to. Hello, hello. Okay, there we go. So, so those things choke up the word of God. And then the second one is the deceitfulness of riches also chokes up God's word. But then, here's, here's, the, here's the bottom line and here's the exciting news. It says, 
the one who has, is, is, um, has taken the task serious, allowed the keeper to come in to tend to the garden. The garden's in a good state. The grass is cut. The trees are trimmed. Um, all the things have been done. Thanks, Matt. Everything is in a good spot. Um, this one produces, produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times of that which was sown. I hope you're getting this. It's called the principle of multiplication. Did you know that you have the capacity to produce more than what you had? So in other words, God comes and he gives you a seed. He does something in your life and this thing, your spirit, has the capacity to multiply it hundredfold. Isn't that amazing? Right? You are an absolute weapon in God's hands because of that ability. God can multiply through you, depending on the quality of the garden, some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. Imagine the impact of your life if whatever God does in you is multiplied hundredfold. I want to be a hundredfold guy. Who wants to be a hundredfold, right? Let's allow God to be the tender of his God. It's, the pressure's not on you, but you are the access point to what God wants to come and do. Right. Five things and then we're done. Five things that God wants, to, God wants you to be aware of and work on. First, first one is your spiritual vitality. Or in other words, um, I call it your starvation meter. Okay, we spoke about the hunger. How aware are you of your spiritual hunger? Right? Some of us, we go through life, we press through, and we don't even know that spiritually speaking, I'm starving. Right? You're not going to go a day without thinking naturally, I'm starving. I'm, you know, I'm just going to leave it for another day. Right? We're not going to do that. We're going to sort it out immediately. Okay? How aware are you of your spiritual vitality? Second one is your mental clarity. The Bible says, I have the mind of Christ. Your mental clarity is a fruit of your spiritual well-being. Okay? Not so much... It's not so much a natural thing. It's not a, uh, if I have everything, all the ducks in order, but it's, it's a spiritual thing. If my spirit is in a good place, my mind will be clear. I'll have clarity of mind. I won't, have, I won't be confused. The Bible says God is not the author of confusion. If you find yourself um, being double-minded or confused, a lack of clarity, the root is spiritual. Firstly, there could be some other things, but firstly, in, in the deepest level, it's, it's spiritual. Then, what I call the peace pendulum. Where is your peace? Are you constantly anxious or do you have the peace of God? Right? If we are in God's presence, um, His peace is consistent. It doesn't mean that you're not going to go through difficulties. It just means that in your difficulties, you're going to have peace. Right? It's going to be tough, but your spirit is going to be in a good place. It's the same with joy. Right? You have joy because of the fact that Jesus has saved you. He's given you salvation. Your circumstances might be difficult, but you'll always have that inner joy. All right? 
Your conscience, clearness. Your conscience is that part of your being that says, what I'm doing now, if I'm doing sin, um, it's telling me it's not the right thing to do. The more you persist in sin, the more your conscience becomes seared as a searing of an iron. So like you take an iron and you sear something, that's what happens with your conscience. It's, it becomes unresponsive the more we persist in sin. All right? So, but, the, but when you came to God, what happened? When you got born again, suddenly your conscience was made new, made alive. So suddenly you were so aware of, of, of wrong things and sin. Suddenly you, you became so aware of God's word and his power and his word. And you were so um, sensitized to violence or sexual things or um, impure things because your conscience was made alive. So what is the state of your conscience? Do you do a lot of things without really your conscience responding? Um, God wants to give you a pure conscience. We'll pray in a second. The last one is what I call um, the fire barometer. What is the temperature of the fire in your heart? Fire meaning the passion that God has given you. Like those disciples that walked with Jesus down the road, their hearts were set aflame. God has not called us to live life mechanically. Tick the tick boxes. This is what's necessary. Get all the disciplines done. Now he's called you to a life of being inflamed and passionate for his glory, right? A life of passion. Um, what is the state of the fire in your heart? Um, I'll never forget, I read, who's read Evangelism by Fire? Go read that book. It's a really good book. But in that book, Rainer Bonke says the following. He says, um, there's the fire in your heart, and, and, and he particularly says, you know, there's, there's a lot of good stuff, and he, he, he advocates learning and reading. But he says, whatever you read, if that which you are reading is, quen is, um, is um, putting out the fire in your heart, then stop. Stop learning. Right? But, but if it's adding to the fire, then, then obviously go for it. Right? There's a lot of information, but not all of it is wisdom. There's a lot of knowledge in the world, but, but some knowledge puts out the fire. So he says, if you find that that's happening, put down the book and do something else, right? Go and speak to someone about the love of Jesus, okay? Um, of course, there are some things that adds to the fire. Learning is, is great and very important. I can talk about that long time. But um, the fire in your heart. And I want to take, I want to extend that statement to not just knowledge, but in fact, anything that you do. If you find yourself doing something that puts out the fire of your heart, then ask some serious questions. Should I be doing what I'm doing? Or is this putting out the fire of Jesus in my heart? Okay? Sometimes we might find I'm doing something, it's a good thing, but it's not a God thing. It's a dead work, in other words. Right? And that dead work puts out the fire in my heart. Make sure you are just busy doing things that is born of God. Everything that is born of God overcomes this world. Amen? Define your hearts. What is the state of your heart? Okay. Close off with this. The ABCDs. Okay. Simple to remember. Accountability. So A, accountability. B, the basics. We've been having a couple of sermons about that. 
third one, community. We also spoke about that. And the fourth one is discipline. So A, B, C, D. Right? This is your small group work. You can talk about this in small groups this Wednesday. A, B, C, D. Accountability, basics, community, discipleship. And go and talk about um, how that influences uh, the state of your heart. And allow God to help you in that. Let's pray tonight. Father, we thank you that you love us. Thank you, Jesus, that you are working on our hearts. You are the tender of the garden. And I want you to bring your heart before God, like we saw in Joel. It says, rend your heart and not your garments. Garments is the outer you. Garments is the projection that you project to the world. Garments is your Facebook page, that which the world can see. But guess what? God can see beyond your garments. He can see right through, straight into your heart. The fiery eyes of Jesus can see right through you. He knows the depth of your heart. The good news is, He loves you the same, even though He sees the depths of your heart. So bring to Him your heart. The Lord is compassionate. He's slow to anger, abounding in grace. He loves you, but He wants your heart. Why don't you just, while we in this um, attitude of worship, just allow the doctor of doctors, the king of kings, to do an assessment of your heart. And the good news here is Jesus is the healer. And he's able to mend our hearts. He's not oblivious to the fact that we live in a sinful world with difficulties and times that really makes it hard to keep our hearts soft. He knows. He had all those challenges, but then he overcame. You see, the seed that Jesus wants to put in your heart is the seed of an overcomer. Nothing is too hard for God. And those that belong to him those who are His, nothing is too hard for them either. Because He comes and He puts His seed into a heart. That overcoming seed. And He makes us new. So I want to give an opportunity here tonight. I'm going to call two groups of people to come to the front. The first group is the gate is closed and you know the keeper of the garden has been knocking and he's been knocking away you see Jesus is a gentleman he's not going to force that gate down he's not going to force himself even though the garden belongs to him he's not going to push through and come in by himself he'll keep on knocking but he is the pursuer he will be persisting he'll be there Sometimes he'll be even knocking very loudly. Making circumstances move together because why? He wants to get your attention. That's the first group. The second group is your, you are aware of the fact that the gardener is there. But suddenly something happened and you are hiding away in your garden because you discovered your shame. 
you discovered that you're naked and now you are running. You're long past the point where you're running away from people. You, are, you mingle with people. You have learned to put up a good face, but, but you are running from God. And God is saying, tonight I'm coming to fetch you. Tonight I'm coming in, but I want you to come up. Take the leaves, wrap yourself in leaves, and walk up to that gate, open the gate to me, I'm coming in. But you, better, you must trust me. If you trust me, I can fix it all. I can come and I'm the God that really takes care of you. I'm the God that is compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. I want to extend my love to you. I want to ask you to be very bold this, this evening. If that's you, any of those groups, I want you to put up your hand. I want you to say, Jesus, I open up the door to my heart. I say, come in, Jesus. Come and save me. Come in, Jesus. Come and rescue me. Come in, Jesus. Come and heal me. Forget about the person next to you and forget about what people think. And forget about where you should be and how people view you. This is between you and Jesus. And say, Jesus, you know my inner person. You know what nobody else knows. You see the depths of my heart. Just quickly slip up your hand. And say, Jesus, I invite you. Thank you for that hand. Thank you for that hand. A couple of hands going up all over. Just quickly slip up your hand. Doesn't need to be a low, prolonged period. You just respond as Jesus is calling you. Don't try and figure it out. Don't try and say, but I'm a leader and I'm a this. I'm not supposed to do this. But if the Holy Spirit is working, you just say yes. You don't ask too many questions. You just go for it. Anyone else? Slip up your hand just quickly. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Father, thank you for every hand that has gone up. Thank you that you're calling us back to the original place, the original garden, that place of your perfect peace. God, you are walking us down the road, the road where you are breaking up reality to us, and you're igniting hearts again, igniting hearts to the passion of your love. If that's you, just lay, raise your hand as well. Say, Jesus, restore my passion. Re Jesus, restore my passion. I want to have your fire burning in my heart. Hallelujah. Let's all stand here tonight. If you want to say, God, restore my passion, quickly come out from where you are. Stand at my right hand. Your left. If you want to say, Jesus, come into my garden and I open up the door. Come to my left side. If you want to say, Jesus, I'm hiding from you, come in healing also to my left. Let's just come out quickly. If everyone stands here in front, that's also fine. We're just doing another prophetic action. But let's come out, respond to his love. There were several people that put up their hands. Quickly come and stand this side. If you want Jesus to restore your passion, your fire, but you also want to say, Jesus, come in, can you please stand this side first? Because that recognition is important for you that with Jesus would ignite the flame of your heart. Thank you for standing aside.
Well done, guys. I'm going to pray for you guys first, and then we're going to get that side. I have some leaders. I'm going to pray t- with you guys, and we're going to all pray together. But I'm going to pray that, pray as if we're coming to Jesus for the first time. Maybe it's the first time. Is there anyone here that's never made a public declaration of your faith? You've never said yes to Jesus coming into your life? Anyone here? You've all given your lives to Jesus before? Okay, that's perfect. That's great. Okay, but I'm going to pray in that purity of us coming to Jesus for the first time. You can pray after me. Let's all pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, I open up the door of my heart. I say, come in, Lord. Make me new. Make me new, Lord. Remove the old. Take away the the negativity. I ask you, Jesus, that you would save me and make me new. I'm a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. I thank you, Jesus, for life and life in abundance and the joy of my salvation. Thank you for the fire that is in your eyes. Come and heal me, Jesus. Come and restore me. In Jesus' name. I want you just to stand here. And I want you to just sense God is saying that He wants to give you the revelation of who you are in Him. You are a son and a daughter of the King. That means He's a King. It means you're royalty. It means that there's a translation happening here. I'm going to ask some people to come and pray with you, but I want you to discover and ask Jesus, show me Jesus, who I really am in you. Your glory, come and reveal it to me. We have some leaders to pray on this side. Where's Matthew? Matthew, if you can just help Jamie. This side and you, we can all pray together. Say, Lord Jesus, Come and fan the flame. Restore the passion of my heart. I ask you, Jesus, that you would come and reveal to me right now what are the stones and what are the weeds? What are the disciplines that I need to embrace? How do I partner with you, Jesus, that you can do all in this garden that you have purpose to do. I've, I give you permission now. Come, Lord Jesus. Remove the deceitfulness of riches. Come and remove the worries and the anxieties. Take them, Jesus, and fill me now with your spirit. In Jesus' name. I want you just as well to engage with Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit in us. The fact that we often have opportunities for people to pray with us is an indication of the fact that we recognize that God can work through man. But you know what? The same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. So I want you to engage with Jesus, just you and God. Just you and the keeper of this garden.
No one can do it for you. Only He can do it. So I want you to pray in the Spirit. Pray out loud. Connect with the keeper of the garden and do business with Him right now. Just where you're standing. Just engage with Him. Speak to Him. Speak to Him in the Spirit. If you, if you don't have an understanding with what Jesus is doing, remember I said, sometimes Jesus does things we don't even know what He's doing. Just go along with it. Because He's doing things in your spirit. Speak with, 